the father and son had attended a orchestra concert, and the father paid particular attention to the flute player, and he said to his son, can you hear the flute? It sounds amazing. It sounds beautiful. The son was a little confused and perplexed, and he, he said to his dad, I don't hear it. What sound are you talking about? The father quickly realized that his son had never heard a flute play by itself, so he couldn't identify the unique sound from the wide variety of the other instruments in the orchestra. The son first needed to understand what a flute sounded like on its own, separate from the whole orchestra, before he's able to pick it out in the symphony of the sounds. When I think about this story, in a lot of ways, we're like the sun. We're like the sun in that there are so many voices calling for our attention that it can be hard to distinguish what's right, what's wise, and ultimately to discern and to pick out God's voice. Unless we first take the time to connect with God, whether that be through Bible or spending time in intentional prayer, to understand God's mannerisms, His, his choice of words, his, his voice inflection, His character, we won't be able to distinguish God's voice from the symphony and the sounds of life that are calling for our attention. We first need to take time to connect with God, and then once we do, His voice becomes clearer. Welcome to week two of our series of Hearing the Voice of God, and we're talking about distinguishing between God's voice and Satan's voice. Distinguishing the differences between God's voice and Satan's voice, because ultimately whose voice we listen to alters and changes the course and direction of our life. You may have heard the phrase, forewarned is forearmed. It's this idea that knowledge in advance helps us to be better prepared. Or in this instance, that how someone speaks helps us to recognize and understand their voice. Now, before we go any clearer, I'd love for us to just understand the first thing, which is that God's voice typically calls us to be selfless. God's voice calls us to be selfless. God is focused on the interests and the needs of other people. He's focused on the big picture, the mission of God, eternal things, the future good. God always focuses on clarity and faith. In Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others as better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You see, God speaks through the Bible. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through signs. He speaks through music. He, he speaks from an audible voice. He speaks through creation. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He can speak through other people. And I'm here to tell you that one of the ways that I hear the Lord speak to me is through the Holy Spirit and a prompting in my spirit. It can be something like, why don't you call that person? That person needs some help. Why don't you do something for them? 
that's prompting in me to move me to action, to be selfless. God's voice typically guides us to be selfless. On the other hand, Satan's voice typically guides us to be self-centered. Satan's voice tempts us to be self-centered. It's, it's focused on what I want, uh, my goals, my ambitions. It's focused on the temporary, maybe corrupt desires. Satan focuses on doubt and confusion. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. You see, Satan speaks through people, places, things, and even thoughts to convince us of his lies and half-truths. In the same way that God's Spirit typically prompts me to do something, I most often hear Satan's voice very prominently immediately after church on Sunday. The reason being is because I've just poured myself out and I'm vulnerable to his attacks. You see, God is pure. He's holy. He's good. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Whereas Satan is evil to the core. He is incredibly intelligent and trickery. Scripture says that he is the father of all lies. And what makes Satan's voice even harder to distinguish between is that God or is that Satan is this next thing that comes up on the screen here, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He appears to be the good guy, whereas he's actually a wolf in sheep's clothing. You see, Satan speaks partial truths, which seem good, but they're not. And I'm here to tell you, don't underestimate his ability, but at the same time, don't overestimate our ability to say no. Don't underestimate Satan, but don't overestimate ourselves. The late Billy Graham said, don't think of Satan as a harmless cartoon character with a red suit and a pitchfork. Whereas Satan is very clever, he is powerful, and his unchanging purpose is to defeat God's plans at every turn, including God's plan for your life. That's what Satan has come to do. So, let's take a look at a time in history, a biblical story, this is true, in which Satan was speaking to Jesus and how Jesus responds to the temptation and the test that Satan is doing. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and this is what God's Word says. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, All of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came, and they attended him. So what's going on here? Well, we're able to see in verse 1 that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Some translations use tested instead of tempted, so it's interchangeable there. But we can see that it was God's plan for Jesus to endure this testing, this tempting. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a prompting in Jesus' spirit. Maybe it's an audible voice from the Holy Spirit. Regardless, this is God's plan for for Jesus to endure this testing and this trial. You know, maybe God allowed this test to happen for a greater purpose. Maybe it was to reveal Jesus' human side. Maybe it was to reveal how Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses. Or maybe this testing is to give us an example to follow and how Jesus responds to Satan. And so the first thing that Satan says to Jesus is to suggest that God isn't trustworthy, which brings us to our first point. Satan tells us to doubt God's provisions. Satan tells us to question God. Question God's ability to provide, to care for us, his love and his goodness. Peter Wagner said Satan's chief tactic is deception. And he does it by telling lies about God. You see, Satan wants Jesus to abandon trust in God and to take matters into his own hands. Notice what our passage of Scripture says. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is hungry. Don't miss this because it reveals Jesus' present condition. He's malnourished. He's hungry. He needs food to regain his strength. After a quick kind of mathematical study, after 40 days, three meals a day, Jesus has potentially missed 120 meals. And so think for just a moment. How do you react when you miss one meal? Typically, we get a little angry, maybe a little irritable, and you know, maybe we're a little bit more quick and short with people. This is very intentional by Satan. Because when does Satan come? After 40 days and 40 nights. Not when Jesus is strong and and nourished with meals beforehand, but after 40 days and 40 nights. Satan is speaking to Jesus when he's alone, when he's weak, when he's vulnerable, and when Jesus has a desire for food. Satan is hoping that Jesus will have his guard down and will compromise his convictions for a quick fix. 
He's hoping that he'll compromise his convictions. And so remember, Jesus is doing a good thing in this moment. Jesus is fasting. It's a spiritual practice. It's, it's, when it's, a, it's a willful refraint from something that we enjoy. And instead of using that time for ourselves, we're going to be using that time to pursue God. And so Jesus has been praying and fasting. And I'm here to tell you that Satan often uses holy things to his advantage. Sometimes we can be doing the very things of God, and that's when Satan comes to try and deceive us. Keep your guard up. You see, Satan Satan speaks to us when we're strong, but he also speaks to us when we're weak. But we're more apt to listen when we're weak. The acronym H-A-L-T helps us understand typically when we're more apt to listen. H stands for hungry. A, angry. L, lonely. T, tired. Typically when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, we're more susceptible to do things that we typically wouldn't do. We're more apt to listen or to compromise for a quick fix. And so think back over this past week. Was there a time in which you were hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And in those moments, what kind of thoughts were coming to your mind in your head? What were some things that maybe you felt prompted to do that you typically would not do? It's in those moments that Satan is speaking to us and trying to get us to compromise our convictions. You see, being hungry isn't wrong. You know, Jesus, he needs food to be nourished. But how Satan tells Jesus to feed his hunger is wrong and sinful. And this is where Satan is telling Jesus to doubt God's provisions. Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, why don't you just tell these stones to become bread? Notice what Satan says. He points out Jesus' position, son of God, and he also points out Jesus' power. Why don't you just tell these stones to become bread? Maybe he's doing this to puff Jesus up. I am the son of God. I I do have this power. I, I can justify this. I can just speak, and this could happen. It was certainly within Jesus' power to perform this miracle. But in this moment, Jesus had an opportunity, a test, to choose what kind of son am I going to be? Am I going to be the kind of son that listens and obeys my heavenly father? Or am I going to be the kind of son that just, I'm Lord of my life. I can do my own thing. I'm the son of God. You see, Jesus is re- Satan is sorry. Satan is really saying to Jesus, Jesus, if God truly loved you, he would provide. Clearly, he must not love you because you're hungry. Since you're the son of God, Jesus, why don't you just take matters into your own hands? And you see, even though Satan is a deceiver, he he speaks partial truths to manipulate us to justify sinful actions. Satan may whisper truthful things to you like, 
you have the authority and the power to do this. Who's going to stop you? You deserve it. No one else is looking. Go ahead. Please yourself. And it's in those moments we have an opportunity to, opportunity to choose, who am I going to please? Am I going to please God? Or am I going to please myself? 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, so we make it our goal, our ambition, to please him. And what pleases God is obedience. Some of you know um, wife Mariah is about to give birth and going to be a father and pretty excited um, about that. And when I think about parents and parenting, one of the things that I think parents want from their children, not because they're trying to tell them what to do, but because they're trying to protect them, is that when parents ask their child to do something, they want them to obey. Not to be a governing ruler, but to protect them from pain and hardship and foolish mistakes. The same is with God. And when I was thinking about this portion, and specifically this section of my sermon, the Lord gave me this thought and hopefully it's helpful for you today, and it's this. If we have a hard time hearing God's voice, when did we stop obeying him? If we have a hard time hearing God's voice and distinguishing what's right, what's wise, what's God-honoring, when did we stop obeying him when he first asked us to do this, but we said no? And so if at all possible... Maybe we need to go back to that point when Jesus was asking us to do something. Maybe we need to humble ourselves. Maybe we need to apologize. Maybe we need to make the wrong right. At face value, what Satan says doesn't really sound like an invitation to doubt God's provisions. You know, bread is good. It nourishes the body. But that's part of Satan's deception. It looks good, tastes good, it meets a need. Why this is wrong is because Satan is telling Jesus to become independent of God the Father, for Jesus to start doing his own will, for Jesus to start to be Lord of his own life. And so let's just think for a moment. What was God's plan? Well, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tested and to be tempted by the devil to fast and to pray. If Jesus was to feed himself and to perform this miracle, he would disobey what God was leading him to do. If Jesus was to go outside of God's will, he would no longer be led by the Holy Spirit. And then it starts to make you think, isn't that when we start to get in the trouble? when we start to lead ourselves instead of being led by God? Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This walk implies a close relationship that as we listen and as we obey what God is asking us to do, God's voice becomes clear and we avoid making foolish mistakes. This is where we see Jesus respond to Satan. Jesus says to Satan, It is written, 
Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds with the truth of Scripture, that it is God's mouth. God is the one who provides, pointing to the fact that God is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And Jesus is quoting back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8.3, which is a parallel to what he's going through and what the nation of Israel went through in the desert for 40 years, where God provided manna, bread, from heaven. God told Moses, who was the leader of the nation of Israel, when he said in Exodus 16.4, he said, I will rain down bread from heaven. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. God went on to say, in this way, I will test them to see if they will follow, if they will obey my instructions. And so what did God ask the nation of Israel to do? Well, to go out each day and gather enough bread for that day. The point was not to take more food for tomorrow, which revealed a distrust in God but to trust that God would provide what they needed for each day. Now, for the most part, the nation of Israel listened and obeyed, but there were some people that decided to accumulate more. That uh, I'm just going to gather enough. I'm trying to think ahead and plan. You know, th this is good. But when they looked at their food the next day, it was rotten, it was spoiled, and if they ate it, they got sick. What's interesting about this whole story is that God provided manna, bread from heaven, for 40 years, 40 years of God's faithfulness. I'm sure you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we are expressing our dependence upon God that He will provide. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. We are humbly asking and trusting in God to provide what He knows we need, not necessarily what we want. And Satan often says things like, are you sure you can count on God? Are you sure He's faithful? Are you sure He has the ability to do this? But God's Word reminds us of His character, His ability Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. And so where might God be asking you to trust in him? God knows what you need. He knows when to provide it too. He's good and he can be trusted to meet our needs. The question is, are we trusting in him? and obeying what he's asking us to do. Satan's first tactic is to make us doubt God's provisions. But the second thing is that Satan tells us to question our relationship with God. I came across this quote this week, and it's read something like this. Your relationship with God is the thing that the enemy fears most. Why? Because knowing it has the power to crush his evil kingdom. It's this idea that if you're not with Satan, you're against Satan. If you're not with Satan, you're against him. And that's what fears him. 
On two separate occasions, Jesus, Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, let me see proof, Jesus. Give me an example. Prove it. This if is a conditional conjunction that, you know, if you are the Son of God, then God will provide. He's basically trying to get inside Jesus' head that if God doesn't provide, am I actually the Son of God? Does God actually love and care for me? Satan may say things to us like, if you're a child of God, how come God didn't come through like you asked him to? If, if you're a child of God and, and a Christian, why is it that he seems to be blessing that person, but not you? Oh, he must really love that person, and he must be really upset with you. And that's part of Satan's deception. It's one of the most common ways of him speaking, to have us question our relationship with God. It's important to note here what previously happened in chapter 3, that Jesus verbally heard God express his love for him. After Jesus was baptized, God said, a voice from heaven said, this is my son. I love him, and with him I am well pleased. Why is this important? Because Jesus knew by experience God's love. He verbally heard God say it, which strengthened his relationship and it empowered his ministry. And you see, the more affection that we know that we have received from God, the clearer his voice becomes. And the more that we know how much God loves us, the stronger our relationship with God will grow. And we don't have to look much further to know how much God loves us by looking at the cross. If you ever doubt and question how much God loves you, look at the cross. It speaks for itself. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself, Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So, how can we know God's love for us? Well, there's two ways. One of which is theological. It's this head knowledge. You may know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells us historical knowledge. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ, and we can read and know about God's love. So there's theological head knowledge, but there's also experiential knowledge. It's this within our heart. You know, the hymn, the hymn he lives. You know, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. The experience of experiencing God's love and how much he loves us. 
The Bible tells us in Romans 8.15, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His children. And one of the most intimate, which is not degrading of who God is, one of the most intimate terms of, of endearment that we can call God is our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. I was recently reminded that the number one reason that people go to church is not for fellowship, it's not for the coffee, not even for the sermon. The number one reason that people go to church is in hopes of encountering God. Pastor Scott alluded to it earlier. He prayed and he thanked the Lord for his presence here. However, people grow disillusioned and drop out when they feel as though they don't experience God anymore. And I pray that as us as a church and us as a nation, that we never become so complacent that we can only know God's love just theologically, but that we, we can experience God's love within our heart too. You see, Jesus responds to Satan and gives insight to his relationship with God. Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Your God is a personal pronoun. He is your God. He is your Lord. He is your Redeemer. He is your Savior. It's possessive in the same way that you use the word your to describe personal property. You know, this is my sweater. You know, this is your pen. This is your house. This is your car. It's personal possessive. It's something that I own. And when Satan speaks, he's causing us to question, is God really your heavenly father? Is God really your personal savior? You see, the point is, Satan's weapon is deceit, and he attacks the mind. He's making us question our relationship with God, our heavenly father. Our defense is knowing what the Bible says. God demonstrated his own love for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But it's also a commitment to strengthen our relationship with the Lord through experience, prayer, community, testimonies, serving others. Therefore, it begs the question, how much time have we spent reading God's word lately? Can we determine and distinguish fact from fiction? How much time have we invested into our relationship with the Lord? Is it just a Sunday relationship? Is it only when I need him? Or is it I talk to him every day? You see, the fact that Jesus said the son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does, gives insight to how much we need to make our relationship with God our top priority. It's through an act of faith in Jesus regular time in God's word that helps protect us from Satan's deceit. We are, in fact, a child of God. And nothing, 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 nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Amen. Third and final point is this. Satan tells us to pursue misplaced priorities. One of the ways that we can distinguish God's voice from Satan's voice is that Satan always encourages us to pursue power, position, and possessions. It's the idea of bigger, better, more. 
Satan speaks in a way to get Jesus' mind off of kingdom priorities and onto earthly priorities. Satan says to Jesus, all of this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. All of this refers to wealth, respect, power, authority, to do as he pleases, to be a God among them. And Satan says, all of this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. This word bow down actually means to prostrate yourself, to lay flat. It was a physical expression of demonstrating a life fully surrendered to Satan. You see, these words by Satan are designed to give Jesus an option out of going to the cross. It's really to, Jesus, if you do all of this, you bow down and worship me, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to experience pain and suffering. And let's just take a moment and let's just think about this. If Jesus had pursued these earthly priorities and something that Satan was presenting, what would happen? I'd probably guarantee none of us would be here right now. There would be no forgiveness of sins. Our eternal destiny would be separated from him in hell. I'm thankful that for Jesus that he paid the price so that we could experience and know God's love. You see, Satan wants Jesus to focus on himself, the temporary, the here and now, rather than God's eternal kingdom that lasts forever. And you see, Satan uses the exact same tactic with us by offering misplaced priorities, by wanting us to focus on our kingdom, making sure that people see me so that I get ahead. I'm only just going to focus on me instead of investing into God's kingdom that lasts for all eternity. Pastor Francis Chan used this illustration really well in which he brought out a really long rope. And just at the very beginning, there was this tip that was just red. And he said, so often we only focus on this and we completely forget about eternity. And this is what he said. The Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part, my life here on earth, determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible? Satan wants us to focus on just the here and now and not about eternity. Jesus responds to Satan and he says this, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That only God is to be worshiped. We are only to serve his kingdom priorities. And Jesus is very specific and strategic when he says only. Driving down the point that worshiping anything or anyone else besides God in our life is idolatry. And it's in the wrong place. You see, it's a question of priority. Whose will do we follow? Who's Lord of my life? But maybe more specifically, whose agenda am I promoting? Am I focused on my own temporal kingdom? Or am I pursuing God's and investing into his 
eternal kingdom. You see, the world's priorities is, how can you serve me? But God's kingdom priorities is, how can I serve you? As followers of Jesus, we exist to serve God and other people, not just to be pampered, not just to be served. Jesus said the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. He said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. When God speaks, it's always encouraging us to lean into being a servant, taking the back seat, giving, not getting, helping other people, not using other people as a stepping stone to get to where we want to get to in life. And so what does this mean for us? Well, if you want to avoid misplaced priorities, maybe we need to evaluate, what do I seek? Do I seek being admired, applauded, served? Or do I really seek God's will, being helpful, being a servant, investing into God's eternal kingdom? 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, Let no one seek their own good, but the good of others. This doesn't mean that we neglect ourselves, but God's kingdom priorities is that we willingly sacrifice what we want to make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. Pastor Rick Warren said, what matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of it. What matters is not the duration of your life, but how much we willingly give to help other people. So let's boil this down. What have we been talking about? Well, Satan speaks in a way to cause us to doubt God's provisions. But when God speaks, he says, you can trust me to provide. Satan speaks in a way to cause us to question our relationship with God. But when God speaks, he says, you were bought at a price, and I love you. Satan speaks in a way to cause us to pursue misplaced priorities. But when God speaks, he says, you can make an eternal difference in other people's lives. As I was thinking and praying last night on how the Lord wanted me to, to end and to close, I felt impressed just to share something about myself from this past week. God taught me a pretty important lesson this week about listening to his voice from Satan's voice. You wouldn't know this unless I told you, but I really struggled to get this sermon together. I really struggled to get this sermon together. I was really discouraged, defeated. I felt impressed from the Lord to fast, to not eat in order to write, and to demonstrate to the Lord that I'm willingly sacrifice something that I need, but I need God's wisdom and insight more. And so I felt impressed from the Lord that that's what God was asking me to do, to fast and to pray, to write. I can tell you that when I did fast and when I prayed, I felt God's help. I felt God's enablement. Things were just flowing and just coming together. But I can also tell you that I felt Satan's voice tempting me to eat. 
I'd like to tell you that I didn't eat, but I did. And I can tell you that when I did eat, I felt nauseous to my stomach. Because I knew I was disobeying what God was asking me to do. And when I tried to write, it was not coming together. Roadblock after roadblock, discouragement, felt defeated, felt like giving up. Why do I share that? I share that because when I listened and I obeyed what God asked me to do, I felt God's help. His grace was sufficient in every season of life. But when I didn't listen and when I didn't obey, it was extremely difficult. I'm here to tell you that for me, listening wasn't the issue. The issue was obeying what God was telling me to do. And I'm here to tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's good. And when he asks us to do something, it's not because he's trying to ruin or spoil fun. But he's trying to protect us. He's trying to help us. Because he has a good plan for our life. So listen, but also obey. Listen and obey. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We recognize, God, that you are light. And in you, there is no darkness at all. And so, Jesus, when you ask us to do something, you don't have a hidden motive, but you're trying to help us. You're trying to mature us and ultimately use us to help other people. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would listen intently, but more importantly, Lord, that we would apply and do what you're asking for us. Jesus, I thank you that you don't ask us just to do this on ourselves, but you give the Holy Spirit to empower us, to apply it to our life. And so, Lord, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. Empower your people, as it was prayed earlier by Pastor Scott, for feet and hands ready to do what you ask us to do. And we'll make sure to give you the praise and thanks that you're due, Jesus. And everyone said, amen.